All right, so we're going to be looking at chapter 24 of Genesis today. It is 67 verses long. So we're not going to just stop and read it all in one setting. We're going to read it in chunks as we go through. But it's a long chapter. But let's remember where we were in chapter 23. Sarah had died. She was 127 years old. Isaac was 37. And Abraham bought a field from a Hittite named Ephron. They negotiated a price that was kind of, you could see even in the account here, how indirect the negotiation was. You know, well, why, why would we even talk about a place worth 400 shekels or 4,000 or whatever it was? And, but uh, he did buy it, and there was a cave in this field that then he used for a burial site. And at the end of chapter 23, we also get news from Abraham's family. I'm sorry, end of chapter 22, we'd already received news from Abraham's family that Nahor, his brother, uh, had children and even a granddaughter, and one of those granddaughters, the only one mentioned, is named Rebecca. Today we're going to meet Rebecca again. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through Genesis 24 in sections. We'll talk about that section and then read the next one. So to begin with, I'm looking for a volunteer to read Genesis 24, 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may take you, swear by the Lord, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my for my son and from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Very good. So let's look for a, a few of the things that we ought to highlight here. It starts out saying Abraham was old, advanced in age. And so he is, he is old. Uh, he was 10 years older than Sarah, so at the time of Sarah's death, he would have been 137. Uh, and he said the Lord's blessed him in every way. We're going to get a more uh, expanded description of that later in the chapter. And it says he went to his most senior servant, most aged servant, uh, quite probably that was Eleazar, the one that earlier he had said, this is going to be my heir because I don't have children, so it's going to go to my servants. And here is the most senior servant now. We don't know that. It probably, if it is Eleazar, he's probably about 85 years old or something like that. But this servant was very well trusted. He was obviously in charge of everything that Abraham owned. And see that in verse 2. In verse 2, he turns to that servant and says, Put your hand under my thigh, 
and we're going to make an oath, which to us, that's kind of like, what? <laughs> but uh, that is, uh, from what we know of traditions, that was that, that kind of very personal contact, uh, you know, a hand under a thigh, was a piece of a very personal oath kind of a situation. So this was not, would not have been an unusual kind of contact for a very important oath from one person to another. And, and in that also there's a little bit of, of subject, subjection. Um, it, by putting his hand under the thigh, he is agreeing, I'm subject to you, you're, you're over me. And then uh, in verse 3 he says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. So in other words, this, this is important. This is something we're doing in the eyes of God. God can see it. This is, this is something that is a commitment not only to me, but it's a commitment you're making in front of God, and so therefore God is involved in this commitment. And what does he ask him to commit to? What's that? Well, more than that, but that's part of it. Don't get my son a Canaanite wife. And, and we're also going to get there. Don't take him back to uh, my homeland, which is going to be kind of interesting before we're done in terms of homeland. But we don't want a wife from the Canaanites. Go to my country, in verse 4, and my relatives, and take a wife for my son Isaac. So not only is he to go back to his founding people, the people that he came out of when he came to the, what we know would know as the promised land, the Canaanite land, but go back to the people as well. He's looking for somebody that's connected with the family. And so before the oath occurs, the servant in verse 5 says, now wait, no, wait, wait a minute, that's not the way he says it, but that's the way I would have said, whoa, uh, wait a minute here. Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land. Should I then take your son back to the land from where you came? And so that gets at the question coming up that we've already mentioned, where Abraham gives him response. Okay, so the, and it's interesting, he says singular, the woman. So he's going to, I'll pick somebody out, but if she won't come, uh, what do I do then? Do I take your son back? And Abraham said to him, and it gets translated different ways, beware, see to it, that I think is what you're said. Uh, there's a word at the front of this that, that, that puts emphasis on this. And how to put it into English is a little tough. But see to it that. This is important. This is very, very important. Do not take my son back there. And he gives a little bit of an explanation here in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth... And who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give you this land. He will send his angels before you and will take a wife for my son from there. So he, he talks there in verse 7 about how the Lord God of heaven took me from his father's house, from the land of my birth, to give you this land. <clears throat> how do you, can you see a connection there between don't take my son back? What's the connection? God called Abraham out of the land of his fathers to the Canaanite land. He's going to give the Canaanite land to Abraham and his offspring. So why not take the son back? He wants him to remain in the land that had been given to him. This is the son of the promise. 
And so as the promise is transferred from Abraham to Isaac, so too then is the expectation, <clears throat> leave your father's house. Go to the land I will show you. The land has been shown. Abraham's saying, no, my son's now the one of the promise or will be. Don't be taking him back there. We don't know what's going through Abraham's mind, but a possibility is if he gets back there and marries a young lady from back there, I mean, we probably all have relatives in our family. I've got one very close to me who didn't want, the last thing he wanted to do was stay near home. He's in Kansas City because that's where his wife's going to live. Okay? That happens. Young men go back, they find a wife. She goes, yeah, but I'm not leaving this country. Well, you know, I want you for my wife, so I guess I'm now moving over here. And that does occur. And so he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't get him back there. Don't get him a potential tie back home. And he goes on then to say about an angel. What does he say there at the end of, that, of verse 7? What's Abraham telling him? Send him an angel. <laughs> yeah. And you will take a wife for my son from there. So that God's going to be involved in this. That's what Abraham is telling the servant here. Verse 8, though, he gives him room. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you're free from this oath. So in other words, you can make the oath, and when you find the right woman, if she's not willing to go, then the oath is over. Your, your, your commitment to me is done, you're released, and so on. But there's still a commitment, don't take my son back there. So it gets repeated again. Yes? What uh, country are we talking about when we say my country? Well, that's the interesting thing we're coming to. Let me, let, that's going to come out in the text. Let me get that to that in a little later verse. And so after all this discussion, we had eight verses. Um, verse 9, the servant placed his hand into the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. So he makes, makes the commitment he's asked to. So with that said, let's go down and read verses 10 through 21. Who can read that for us? Genesis 24, 10 through 21. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at the time of evening the time when the women go out to draw water. <coughs> to what? Uh, 21. And he said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show me steadfast love and show steadfast love to my master. <coughs> Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have sworn steadfast love to my master. <clears throat> Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jug on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. 
Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Then when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Okay, so this servant gathers ten camels. This is not a small undertaking that we're watching here. Uh, this is a significant show of prosperity as well as just preparation away he goes. We're going to find out later that he is not the only man on the trip. He's got some other men going with him. So this is truly a, a mission to go find Isaac's wife that gets a lot of, a lot of work put into it. And where did he go? He went to Mesopotamia, the city, to the city of Nahor. What's the brother's name that had the granddaughter? Nahor. So we're not anywhere near the land of Ur, by the way. And if you remember, Abraham went with his father-in-law up to Haran. And so that's in Mesopotamia, which is up there northeast of north and east and west, but primarily northeast away of the Israelite area. Turkey, modern Turkey is probably where this was. Now he goes to the city of Nahor. We don't know where the city of Nahor is. There's some, I went out and did some looking, and there's people that claim to know. Their claims all seem valid till you read the next guy's assertion as to where it is. But but it certainly, if it's Mesopotamia, it's up there, mostly north, maybe some east of Israel. And, and a bit of a trip up there to get there. Um, and so he goes up to the city. And while we don't see any real interaction with these other men, we see a lot that's going on with his servant. And so he gets up there. He goes outside the city by the well, and he has the camels kneel down. So here is this caravan-type group. Got ten camels all kneeled down out there. And what's the first thing after the camels kneel that the servant does? And what does he pray? What's his prayer? Grammy success. And he gets really specific. What's that? Well, loving kindness, yeah, loving kindness toward him. But he asked for a set of circumstances to occur. Look, what? Let a woman come out that draws water for me, also draws water for my camel, be the one I take back. Yeah, he says, I want you, God. This isn't what he says, but this is the effect. I'm looking to you to reveal to me the right woman based on this. I'll ask one of these young women come out. By the way, it's evening time. It was common apparently that the women of the of the village would go out and get water for the evening in preparation probably for the morning as well and so these young women are making these trips out there apparently that was girls work i don't know but that they're that's what who they say was going and so they're going out and, and getting this water and bringing it back and he says i'm going to ask one to give me a drink 
and the, let the one that you have picked for Isaac then also say, and this is the sign he's looking for, let me water your camels also. And so, uh, and, and he says, and, and let this be a way of you, God, showing loving kindness to your servant Abraham. There's a couple of things we get to see here. One is the servant recognizes Abraham is the one that has the attention of God, that God is focusing on as a promise. And so he is clearly taking, hey, this is the one you promised. You want to show him loving kindness. This is a way, God, I'm asking you to do this. But he's also showing his own faith, isn't he? God, you're able to do this. And Abraham told him that God would be sending a messenger or an angel. God's power would be involved in this. And so this is the prayer he makes. He's looking for this particular sign. And so what happens? It works. Before he's even done praying, here comes this young lady out. And um, so he is going to try this out. In verse 15, it said, Before he'd even finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, born to Bethuel, this one that was mentioned at the end of chapter 22, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. And we get a description here. The girl was very beautiful. Uh, no man had known her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So Nahor, Nahor the uh, servant is looking at her going, this is a prime candidate. Isaac would be pleased. It would be a great thing if this was her. And so he ran to meet her. He's not going to let this opportunity get away. And he said, please. Let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said there in verse 18, Well, drink, my Lord, and quickly lowered the jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when, she, when uh, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, Oh, we'll draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking also. And so she emptied her jar into the trough. Obviously, that's the drinking place for the animals. And ran back to the well. So she's doing this enthusiastically to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made this journey successful or not. There's a little side fact that I didn't know. Um, you know, I, I was even talking to some guys before that we started about some of my experience that I had two grandfathers that both had horses. One, horses were central to his, his joys in life. The other one, they were just a necessity he had to put up with. But I've been around horses that have been worked, and when you come back, the first thing you want to do is get them to the water tank. They're ready for a drink. They probably have been ready for a long time, didn't have the ability to communicate that to us. But they're ready for that water, and so you let them drink. And they drink some, and then you go on about your business and take care of them and so on. Something that I didn't know was, depending upon how long the camel has been out and traveling, can change how much of this he needs, but a camel, can, one camel can drink up to 25 gallons of water. So when she said, oh yeah, I'll keep bringing water to your camels until they've had all they want. There's 10 of them. If they were all dry, dry, 
And where I read this little fact about camels, if it's correct, 250 gallons of water, she might have just obligated herself to provide for these camels. Now, I don't think it took that much, um, but that, you know, that's a pretty big thing to offer uh, for, for a young woman to do that. That's probably why he just stood there with his mouth open. Yeah, she's really going to do it. <laughs> Very well could be, Rick. I hadn't looked at it quite that way. So, so she's made the offer and she's doing it. Now the servant there at the end of verse 21 where we leave off with this section, he's silently watching to know whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And so let's read just a few verses this time. Verses 22 through 26. Who's got that for us? When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels in gold. And said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, son of Milcah, who she bore in <coughs> Again, she said to him, We have plenty of uh, both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And go through 28, I misspoke. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. So the camels finished drinking, and um, he took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels in gold. So he, he gets these out. Um, obviously something he had brought with him. Do you remember when we were talking about Abraham buying the mm -hmm. land, uh, what a shekel to English or to our common measurements might have been? A shekel's a little less than one half ounce. So the ring would have been about a one quarter ounce piece in today's prices, which probably doesn't have much meaning then, but it'll kind of give us a little bit of of, of, a, of a connection there. That ring in, in just its gold value today would have been about $400. So that's a fairly chunk, good chunk of gold there. The two bracelets, those 10 shekels would have been about $8,000. So these are not minor pieces of jewelry by the time it's all said and done that he's got out here. And so he got it out and he said, whose daughter are you? And the and, and do you have room for us to stay in your father's house? He's beginning to realize he hits a home run. Home run, he gets the kind of help he was hoping for from God, truly blessed. When she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. He hears that and knows, okay, I'm right in Abraham's clan. This is descendants of Abraham's own brother. And she also said, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. So then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. <clears throat> Bowing low is a sign of extreme um, humility toward someone or something. Here he's bowing low to God. He's saying, God, you answered my prayer. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. 
In other words, he's showing him love, but he's also showing that God has shown he's reliable in dealing with Abraham and his needs. Now, as for me, he says, the Lord has guided me in the way of me in the way to the house of my master's brother. So he says, God's also guiding me. And this is just a great prayer of faith and thanks that he offers up because of what has happened. So now let's look at verses 28 through 41. Who can read that for us? You want to take a stab at it, Matt? The girl ran home to tell her folks, and when her brother Laban saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and heard her story, he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels and said to him, Come and stay with us, friend. Why stand here outside the city when we have a room for all ready for you and a place prepared for the camels? So the man went home with Laban, and Laban gave him straw to bed down the camels and feed for them, and water for the camel drivers to wash their feet. Then supper was served, but the old man said, I don't want to eat until I have told you why I am here. All right, Laban said, tell us your errand. I am Abraham's servant, he explained, and Jehovah has overwhelmed my master with blessings, that he is a great man among the people of his land. God has given him flocks of sheep and herds of cattle, and a fortune in silver and gold and many slaves and camels and donkeys. Now when Sarah, my master's wife, was very old, she gave birth to my master's son, and my master has given him everything he owns, and my master made me promise not to let Isaac marry one of the local girls, but to come to his relatives here and his farm plans to his brother's family, and to bring back a girl from, bring back a girl from here to marry his son. But suppose I can't find a girl who will come, I asked him. She will, he told me, for my Lord, in whose presence I have walked, will send his angel with you and make your mission successful. Yes, find a girl from among my relatives, from my brother's family. You are under oath to go and ask. If they won't send anyone, then you are freed from your promise. Okay, so the girl runs ahead and gets to the household and tells uh, what's gone on. And uh, it was her mother's household, so that's kind of like this is the mother's, the mother's place. And Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And so Laban ran, uh, took one look at things and ran outside to the man at the ring, a man at the spring, when he saw the ring and the bracelets. What do you suppose Laban's thoughts are? Live one, better not let this one get away. I don't know what's going on, but, but, but I like some of what I'm seeing here. Uh, it's clear that he has an interest in that, at least realizes the guy's serious. You don't, you don't give that kind of jewelry without some sort of real intent of something. And so, uh, and she told him what the man had said. So he goes out to the man who was standing by the camels at the spring. Why was he standing there? Well, the girl ran. You got 10 camels and camel drivers. You know, you've got to get rounded up and so on. And maybe he paid attention where she ran, but he might have also had the problem of, well, she said we could come and then poof, she's gone. I don't know where to go. I don't know. I'm just looking at this going, why? But 
And he said, come in, blessed be the Lord, which is, in this case, is Jehovah. That's the name here. Why do you stand outside since I prepared the house and have a nice place for the camels? And so the man, the servant, entered the house. And I, I find this interesting. I don't want to force something into the passage here, but I'm just going to just make the observation. I don't know if there's a real connection or not. Then Laban unloaded the camels. Now, if I had been unloading the camels, I wouldn't have been able to help it. I'd have been really curious. If this guy just, on this first contact, came up with two, 8, 000, two bracelets worth 8000 bucks and a gold ring, wonder what else I'm going to find that they're curtain around. But anyway, he unloaded the camels, used straw, and gave feed for them. And then he provided water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. This is the first indication that we have other men traveling with the servant. Um, and so they get all that done, and it's just like the old western. We take care of the animals first, and then we go in to take care of the people. But when food was set before him, the servant to eat, the servant said, No, I'm not going to eat until I've explained my business. And so they say, Well, tell us. And so he tells a story. I'm Abraham's servant. Abraham has been greatly blessed by Jehovah. He's become rich. He's got flocks and herds, silver, gold, servants, maids, camels, and donkeys. Now his wife Sarah bore him a son in her old age. And now he, Abraham, has given this son everything he has. Abraham, my master, made me swear, saying, You will not get a wife for my son from these people, but you're going to go to my family, my father's house, to my relatives to get a wife. And then he tells him about this whole oath thing, about how that went back and forth, and that so he's there to ask. If she won't go, then he's free from the oath. What did I leave out? Anything there you see? I don't know that I did or didn't, but I think that pretty well got that passage. So he tells him, this is exactly why I'm here, and this is what I'm doing. So let's go ahead and look at verses 42 through uh, 49. Who can read those for us? When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will please grant success on the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, Drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of... Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring on her nose, in her nose, and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, 
the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get to the grand to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, let me tell me, so I may know which way to turn. <clears throat> Leban and Bethel. Nope. Stop there. Forty-nine. Yep. So. When, he's, when they say, tell us, he had already given them the oath. Now he tells them the story of coming to the spring. And basically, he tells us everything we've already heard. There's no real new information here. But what's new is now he's telling it to the family of Rebecca. I came here. I prayed this prayer. I wasn't even done praying. And here comes Rachel. And by the way... Rachel did everything to be the sign that I had prayed for in the prayer. Rebecca. I'm sorry, Rebecca, thank you. I do that too often. But so, and when I asked her, she, then she told me about her family, and I found out I'd actually come right into the family uh, of Abraham's brother. And so now I'm, I'm there and glad to be there. And so now you've, you've heard my, my account. I prayed to God, asked for this sign. This sign has been performed. It was Rebecca who did it. And so now I want to know, are you going to honor Abraham by sending Rebecca with me, or do I need to turn to the right or the left? Do I need to go some other direction? And he doesn't reveal. Am I going to look for a different woman, or am I going to simply go home and say, sorry, didn't work? We don't know what he would have done, but I don't think he expected to do anything different. And so he has given them this supernatural story, this supernatural series of events, and said, okay, what are you going to do? And so now let's read 50 through 61. Looking for another volunteer. Okay, so when they said go, um, I'm sorry, when he asked, Laban and Bethuel, um, 
replied, so this would be her father and her brother, the matter comes to the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. That's the way the New American Standard translates it. What are they saying? What does that mean? Because the Lord. And, and we lose something with the way we translate into English here. Because every time they say Lord in this passage, it's Jehovah. It's a named God or Yahweh, depending on what you believe about the history and translation of things in the Hebrew for pronunciation and sounding. But they say Jehovah already decided. <laughs> we can't add good or bad, which means they don't necessarily agree or disagree. It's just there's nothing to think about here. Jehovah has made this come together, which is interesting that they're referring to Jehovah. Now, the servant already introduced Jehovah. Because he said, Jehovah has blessed my servant Abraham, and Jehovah has sent me ahead. I prayed to Jehovah, and these things happened. So are they Jehovah worshipers exclusively, or at all, or what? We really don't know, but they're recognizing that this God Jehovah that the servant is talking about is to be reckoned with. And so they're like, you know, we're out of this. And they may indeed have become Jehovah worshipers to some extent. We don't know. But they say, we can't, we can't really speak. Here's Rebecca before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And in some respects, this isn't a bad thing. I mean, here is a family with a, an attractive daughter. And most of the time, marriages were made by some sort of arrangement between parents Typically, the kids had some influence on that, but nonetheless, uh, this would be a good catch in most cases, right? Going to send her to somebody who worships God Jehovah. God Jehovah's been blessing him, and he's got a lot of stuff. I mean, he's going to be able to take care of her, right? So um, th there's a lot of good to say here, but they're giving the reason and the credit to Jehovah that Rachel is to go to be the wife of Isaac. Rachel, I did it again, Rebecca. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he again bowed himself to the ground before Jehovah, and the servant then brought out articles of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. So he brings out the stuff that he brought to be the gift to the bride of Isaac. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. So we spread the gifts around a bit, which would have been normal in that era, by the way. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. So finally, we get the business done. Now we can relax. We can have our meal. We can get rested up. They get up the next morning, and the servant says, okay, send me away to my master. This is a polite way of saying, it's time for me to go. And you ask your host to... Say, yes, I agree, go, thank you for being here, or whatever might have gone on. But that isn't the response he gets. In verse 53, 55, her brother and her mother said, no, no, let the girl stay with us for a few days, say 10, and afterwards she may go. So they're not backing up on the commitment, but they're hesitating. And you could read all kinds of stuff into this. I think it would be inappropriate to read too much into it, to read maybe anything into it. But, you know, Rachel's leaving, and she may have been a beloved part of the family. We don't know what kind of relationship she had with her family, but they may have been going, 
How are we going to stand not seeing her around? That might have been it. It also might have been, this guy's got a lot of stuff, and he wants to go now. Maybe he'll cough up a little more to go now instead of 10 days from now. I, I think it would be wrong to read anything and make any conclusions about that, but this is what they say. Now, his answer to them, the servant said, no, 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 don't delay me. Since Jehovah has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. In other words, we're on the fast track. Jehovah here has been paving the way. It's not time to stop and hesitate and wait around. So they have a solution. They, meaning the family of Rebekah, will call her and consult her wishes. So they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with him? And she said, I'll go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. What's up with this nurse business? What's that? Well, to an extent maybe. So one of the things that would happen with families of prosperity in that era, particularly in the Middle East, was often I want to be delicate, but the nursing, the breastfeeding of the children often was not done by their birth mother if there was a servant around that was in the position of being able to do that. That was pretty common. And then that woman would often continue with the child like a nanny and often were equally, or maybe not equally, but in the way we think about way we revere mothers today, good ones particularly, um, that person often then had a permanent place in the family and, and had a relationship similar to a mother's relationship to that child, might continue with that child through life. As a matter of fact, um, where did I write that reference down? Genesis 35, 8. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 35, verse 8. What does that say? Somebody read that. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called it, <coughs> so he called its name Alam Baku. And this is not Isaac, this is Jacob leading there, am I right? And so Rebecca's nurse stayed with the family a long time. The uh, one, and I don't know where they got it, so I don't know how accurate it is, but one of the commentaries I looked at said she was 85 when she died. Don't know if that's right, but nonetheless, she stayed with this family. I mean, she was part of Rebecca's life many, many years. And so they get ready to go, and in verse 59, her and her nurse uh, prepare to leave with Abraham, with Abraham's servant and his men. And then the family blessed Rebekah, and what did they say to her? May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. What is this blessing? What are they wishing for her? Prosperity. Prosperity. And safety, I think. Safety. Money, money, 
many offspring. And isn't this lined up with what's expected from Abraham's promises? What's the other promise or other desire here for them, from them for her? This is the last thing that God added to his conversation with Abraham. Your descendants will possess the gates of your enemies. And here, this is what they are wishing for Rebekah. Now, verse 61 is interesting because we expand Rebekah's party a little bit. Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. What are we seeing here? This is not po folk. She had maids. This is a family of substance. Um, that a, a young girl like this, and we need to talk about that a minute too, would indeed have maids that were assigned to her that added to the party. So when they came and got Rebecca for the wife of Isaac, they didn't just get Rebecca. They got a woman who was a young woman who was used to living amongst means and had her nurse and even servants go with her. Um, that's another question we probably ought to talk about. How old do we think Rebecca was? What do you all think? Probably 16. If she'd have been a little older, she might have had to say, tell me more. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, she was definitely stout or able. We don't know how big the jug was, but yeah. She's getting the water. Well, if you go study, you will run into a tradition of the rabbis, and they have some basis for it that I had trouble even beginning to follow, that she was three. What? Yeah, what? I can't begin to get there. You're going to send a three-year-old down to draw water for the family? I mean, let's just start out of the box and say that's just crazy. But it's not, I mean, it's not out of the... I mean, it, it is something they seriously, and they, it's a group of them, seriously put forward. No, it's, I agree with you. No, you can throw that away. Um, in all probability, if, if she just lived like most young women growing up in that era, she was probably somewhere between 13 and 16, maybe 17 at the most, because the women and the men, which is kind of interesting considering Isaac's pushing on 40, married young. And there's a very practical reason they did that. Life expectancy was about where Isaac was. Uh, um, they, people didn't live a long time according to what we think we know. They, they, now obviously, here's Abraham, 100 and whatever. But the normal life expectancy just wasn't real high at some point in the older Middle East. Now, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we're still living off of some of the decline of how long people lived that we saw leading up to and following the flood years. Don't know. I'm not trying to say that's the way it is. But the culture in that era, at least a few years later than this, would have been, they would have been marrying pretty young. And a piece of it was life expectancy wasn't real high. But... She probably was in her teens. She was an attractive young woman, and nobody else had come to claim her for a spouse yet, so 
obviously she was of wealth, the young men would probably have been lining up if they would have known she was ready for that kind of a, that kind of a commitment in life. And so they arose with their maids, they got on the camels, and they went with him, and they departed. Let's read the rest of the chapter, verses 62 through 67. Now Isaac had returned from Beelphon. Yeah, go ahead. And was grilling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate. Meditate. Dismounted. Dismounted from, from the camel and, and said to the servant, Who is the man? Who's that man? Was in the field to meet us. The servant was in the field. To meet us, the servant said, "It is my master." So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all all the things that. He had done, and Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, to to Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was. Comfort, comfort did after his mother's death. All right. So we get to the end of this saga, and uh, Isaac was coming up from going into that city. I'm not even going to try to say it. For he was living on the Negev, which was, that city was about 25 miles from where Abraham was when he was down there in the Negev area in um, uh, that valley. I forgot the name of it all of a sudden. But so he's not right where Abraham was, and he's certainly down south, not up north uh, by the Oaks of Mamre. But he's down there, and he goes out into the field to meditate toward evening. So he's out there meditating, thinking things through, uh, considering God apparently, and he looks up, and there's camels coming, which 
Oh, wonder what's happening here. Looks like we've got somebody headed our way. At about the same time, Rebecca looked up and she saw Isaac. And so she got off the camel and she asked the servant, who's this guy walking, man, walking in the field to meet us? So apparently Isaac starts going out to meet the people with the camels. And this is interesting. And the servant said what? He's my master. Up until then, it's been Abraham, 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 Abraham. But now he says, this is, this is the one I'm working for. This is Isaac, or maybe at least one of the ones I'm working for. So Rebecca has a response. She veils herself uh, so that uh, he was not seeing who she was or getting um, you know, a, a, a clear image of her. And so then the servant and Isaac come together. And he tells Isaac everything he had done. So can you imagine? We, it took us a while to read through this story, right? Well, Isaac, your dad got a hold of me and wanted me to make an oath. Let me tell you about the oath. You know, I don't know how much of the detail he went into, but he certainly explained to her how Jehovah had blessed the trip and how the signs had occurred and how he was convinced this was the woman to bring back for Isaac as a wife. And indeed, she's here, and this has been successful. So Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. So the woman would typically have a tent, which was kind of her dominion. And she was a, it was a place of prominence. It had been empty since she died. So now here is the new, you might say it this way, woman of the house. Okay? Uh, she is the, the female leader uh, and in that role. And he took Rebecca. She became his wife, and he loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. So there was a hole in his life, apparently, after his mother passed away. That very, very understandable and expected, particularly with the strong role that both Sarah and Abraham had played. When Sarah disappears from the scene through her death, then things just would seem like there's somebody missing. And now he's brought Rebecca into his life, and she's there as the woman of the house. A lot of faith here by a lot of people. Uh, different culture than ours, so um, many young men and young women today would go, well, boy, this was foolish. How did she know she's even going to like this guy? Well, faith in Jehovah is leading the charge for everybody involved here. And um, so we find ourselves with this blank spot in Isaac's life, and certainly Abraham had to be thinking about he's the child of the promise. We've got to make some provisions. There can be some offspring here. Uh, we don't want this promise to end with Isaac. And so now this opportunity is available as well. Questions, thoughts, comments? I was wondering, you know, since Rebecca was prominent and had maids and all that, why was she the one that was drawing water? Not question I can't answer but it, it, it's very much lined up with this question what teenage girl has any business offering to water 10 camels and so she apparently was not hesitant to uh, to get involved with a little bit of work so she did I yeah I, I don't know I mean you first hear of maids back there of course we don't know the age of these maids um, so we don't know, they may not have been 
old enough or maybe they were too old to be the ones going down and gathering the water. We don't know why this was her responsibility, but at least for this day it was. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a certain amount of truth to that. Jehovah's arranging all of these things, and so that might be why. But it didn't seem odd to the family that she was down drawing the water. So, Anything else? All right. Well, let me pray, and we'll dismiss ourselves. Father, thank you for giving us a glimpse of the faith of many uh, as they work their way through Rebecca becoming Isaac's wife by your design and plan. And Lord, we pray that we too would exercise that kind of faith as servants, as blessed people, as folks just out being obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.